Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Good morning. Thank you, Matt. And what just happened is uh, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about various gifts of the Spirit. And we believe that the Spirit still moves, the Spirit still speaks. And so uh, we, we respond and we leave it up to the Lord to do what He wants to do. So, welcome. How many of you are glad that it's still kind of summer? Yeah, uh, me too. Uh, I'm not ready for 97 days straight of rain, but who's talking? Okay, uh, just wanted, we're stepping into a couple of weeks of prayer and fasting. Uh, we prepared a couple of devotionals. Some, uh, these will be going out uh, electronically, uh, at least the main one here, prayer and fasting. They're also available at the back if you didn't get one. Uh, and if you want to do one with your, along with your children, if you have children, there's one with that that you can do as a family. And uh, they're going to be, I think, handing those out in, in our kids' church. So uh, if you didn't get one, uh, you will. So there's opportunities to pray in homes this week. That's all of it's uh, listed at horizonfam.ca as well as in here. Uh, each night they're through the first week in homes. And then we're going to have times on Zoom. We're going to have times in person here on campus. So there's going to be lots of opportunities. And I hope and pray that you will make uh, yourself available to that uh, as we step into this next ministry year. I invite you to turn in your Bible. If you have one, paper one, open it up to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, if you have uh, one online... Open that one. If you don't have either of those, it's going to show up on the screen. So the Bible from the sky. Second Chronicles chapter 20. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, uh, with some of the Meonites, what names, eh? Uh, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat, who was the king. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It, it is already in has. As is on tomorrow, that is En Gedi. Alarmed, someone say alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. That's the whole nation. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. And indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And dropping down to verse 12, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. After this, it's talking about what had just happened was nothing bad. In fact, Jehoshaphat had done some really great things to turn people back to God and set some new policies and procedures to help people in their walk with God. And it was right after that that the vast army came against him. It reminds us that sometimes things come against us not because we've done anything bad. Sometimes that's our first thing, that we did something bad. And sometimes it is. We did something silly. But sometimes it's there's an enemy that's come against you just because you're moving forward in God. Not because you've done something bad or been bad or, or God's mad at you, just simply because there's an enemy who hates you. And there's also this reality that these nations around him were coming against him. A vast army, uh, some commentators believe it was an army nearing one million men. 
and they were not coming over for dinner. They were coming over to destroy the nation and rob it of all its resources and take control of it so they could use it for their own ends. And it says, we, did not know, we do not know what to do, for our eyes on, are on you. Has anybody in a room ever had a moment in your life where you didn't know what to do? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word that's quick and powerful. Thank you that every time your word is preached, something happens. So Lord, we pray that Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each one of us individually in the moment as we speak to everyone, that you, Holy Spirit, will personalize and activate your word in strong name of Jesus, amen. When you don't know what to do, never fun. Many years ago, I, uh, 30 years ago, actually, I was 22 years old, 52, that's what you're trying to figure out. Um, <laughs> and I went on one of my very, very first uh, missions trips outside of Canada. Uh, and I landed in Budapest, Hungary, and met up with two uh, strong retired preachers by the name of Moses Vey and Paul Stern. Some of you would remember those names. And uh, I was intending to go into Romania to take in some medical supplies and some other things that were there. But first I had to take a trip in from Budapest into Timisoara on the Romanian side of the border. This was just a couple of years after the Iron Curtain had fallen uh, and Ceausescu in Romania had been play, put out and uh, he was put out. Uh, and Romania was still very uh, difficult to go into. Uh, and they put me on a train in Budapest and said, you will be fine. Just stay on this train. Whatever you do, don't get off until it comes to Timisoara. And I was like, fantastic. This is simple. I grew up in the, I had, this was my first trip on a plane. I had never been to Europe before. I grew up as a hillbilly and I was like in Europe, wide eyed and wondering, will I be killed before I get out of this place? Like I was scared but I was full of faith, you know, not at all. Got on the train and I sat down and I was just like all watching everything and we started going. And, and at the Romanian-Hungarian border, the train stopped. And, and guys with guns came on and they said, everybody needs to get off the train. Romanians had decided that day that everybody was gonna get off the train and everybody's bags are gonna be searched. And except I got off the train, even though they said, whatever you do, don't get off the train. But a man with a gun said I should. So I kind of went with that. Uh, and so I'm standing on in the gravel and there was about, they said, you need to find your next train. And there was about seven different trains all going somewhere. And I had to pick the one without any signs, not speaking any Romanian or Hungarian, I can't spell a word. The words in Hungarian are about this long. And all I knew is I didn't know what to do. I did, I had no clue. Hillbilly from the cusp, first trip internationally. I've just taken my first train, uh, plane ride. I'm in Europe, told to get, not get off the train and I'm off the train wondering with guys with guns and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I did what anybody would do. I said, help. Is there anybody that speaks English? I was shy, but I was all of a sudden got bold because I did not want my first mission trip to be my last. <laughs> and I just said, help, does anybody speak English? And people kept walking. This was, now it would be very common for people to speak English, but back in the olden days, <laughs> 
I can say that now and it means something. Back in those days, English was not widely spoken, particularly in what was the former iron, behind the former Iron Curtain. And so finally, somebody, and I can still picture her, she turned around, her name was Christina. She was a Romanian-Hungarian. She had heard, learned some, a bit of English by listening to and watching shows on TV. And she said, yes, can I help you? And I was like, bless the Lord. And I don't know if she was an angel, I'll find out one day from now, but. Anyway, I didn't know what to do. So sometimes you, you're, you're stuck in situations that are incredibly challenging. Many of us, as we, if I talked around the room about situations that you have faced or maybe are currently facing where you just don't know what to do, where you might have anxiety that at night threatens your sleep and keeps you awake, or you don't know what to do about the discouragement and sometimes even depression that comes like a blanket over you. Or you might have, be facing a health issue where the prognosis is there's no hope and you don't know what to do. All of us are facing in different things. How am I gonna survive financially? I'm okay, but if one thing negative happens, if I get a flat tire on my car or, or Something happens, I don't know what, I'm, what would I would do. If I got an eviction notice from, I don't know that I could afford where to move into another place. I don't know what to do. Maybe your marriage and your family are struggling or someone in your circle of friends is just going off the rails and you don't know what to do, what to say, how to say it. We have seen the decimation of faith of many as the deconstructionism has swept through the Western church. Or maybe you or someone you know can't seem to shake the hold of pornography or alcohol or drugs or food or work. And in the world around us, we see actually that in the West, although the church is flourishing and blowing up in, in the global South, in Africa and in, even in Asia and in South America, growing hugely, but in Western Europe and in Canada and America, in the West, the church is shrinking, losing influence, losing power seemingly, not getting moving forward, but fighting to maintain who we're called to be in God. In corners of the church world, people are more passionate about political positions than they are about faith. We see angry debates around gender that we're not even on our radar five years ago, let alone 10 or 20. We see angry, angry people on social media. We should be troubled by the scores of people nearing 200 every month that succumb to an overdose, primarily in the lower mainland our friends, our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters. 300 abortions a day in Canada. Human trafficking that happens right from Guilford Mall is one of the hubs for the Lower Mainland. An antichrist culture that seemingly hates the way and the people of Jesus. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do we reach for? What do we go to? Do we pick up social media and distract ourselves and just endlessly scroll? Do we get combative? Do we start swiping right and swiping left on your app of choice? 
looking for something to assuage the loneliness? Are you hopeless or hope-filled? Are we cranky and angry, ready to blow up? Do we go to an extra glass of wine? Are we quietly just checking out and saying, somebody else can deal with this? What do we do when we don't know what to do, when we see things that are impossible, seemingly unmovable, unchangeable, that are too big, too hard, too much, too fast? And how we respond to what I would say is a vast army that is arrayed against the people of God is incredibly important. And we're gonna look today through this chapter in chapter 20 of 2 Chronicles because there was and there is an enemy coming for you coming for your family, coming for our nation, coming for the church of Jesus, doing whatever he can to destroy, to kill, to kill, to steal. In 1 Peter 5 and 8, we're reminded, be alert and of sober mind. Your, what? Your enemy the devil, he's speaking to anybody who's a follower of Jesus, but any human, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's on the prowl. Ephesians 6 and 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, and it has a whole list, but essentially spiritual wickedness. You have an enemy that's determined to destroy you to determine to destroy anything good and anything of God. Your enemy is not the prime minister. Your enemy is not your favorite political whipping person. Your enemy is not radicals pushing their agenda. Your enemy is not the one who is promoting a different sin than I am an expert at. Your enemy is not your family member who seemingly lost it. Do not mistake the person being used by or manipulated by or trapped by the enemy as your enemy. But there is a real enemy with a real agenda. He's determined to distract you, to demoralize you, to divide us, to destroy us. He can't touch God, so the enemy is determined to, de to touch and destroy what is most precious to God, the people created in his image. And we see Jehoshaphat saw this vast army and he heard about it and it's helpful to know, like him, that we face a world, a time, and an enemy in a challenging moment where sometimes we just don't know what to do. And at first, Joshua has all, or Jehoshaphat has all the feels, all the emotion. He's alarmed. That word could be translated afraid. It could be also translated overwhelmed. The alarm is going off inside of him. My goodness, what am I going to do? And you can have all the feels, but don't let your feelings be the thing that you decide what you're going to do. Feelings are just meant to be like an alarm clock to wake us up. They're meant to be indicators, not dictators. Jehoshaphat could have called all his generals up. He could have ordered the army to be mobilized. He could have closed the gates, got everything together, made sure they had all the supplies. Maybe he would have sent word to another king to help him. Maybe he would have called the enemy and said, hey, I'll give you a few cities and some bags of gold. You take them and leave us alone. Compromised, whatever. 
But his first response was he resolved. He resolved. He was feeling an alarm, but then he resolved. He was determined to fast and pray and inquire of the Lord. When you don't know what to do, what do you resolve to do? Resolve, he shows us that we resolve to fast and pray. So every year, a couple of times a year, we draw ourselves back, not because we just need something to do in our calendar, but because the call to fast and to pray when we don't know what to do, as many of us would know if we went around the room, I don't know what to do about this, I don't know what to do about that, I'm not sure how we're gonna respond here, what would happen if this happened, I don't know. But when we don't know what to do, we resolve to fast and to pray, to inquire of, to seek the Lord. So why do we fast and pray? Let prayer be our first response. You've heard us say it many times, not our last resort. Well, there's nothing else we can do but pray. We're people of God. Let prayer be our first response, not our last resort. Why do we fast and pray? Number one, fasting and prayer draws us closer to God. In verse four, it says the people of Judah, that's the nation, came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. The people sought first, they came to God for what he could do. Lord, we need help. And then they came to God for an encounter with him. And the presence of God changes everything. We are not just talking to a God who's way up there somewhere in the sky in the sweet by and by. We, are, we, we worship a God who is near. We're, we're, we worship a God, as Moses said, I don't wanna go anywhere except your presence goes with me. And he said, that's what makes us unique from every other people on the earth, that our God is active, our God is alive, our God has risen from the dead and he's with us. And we go to him because he is the one who triumphed over hell, death, and the grave. So it draws us closer to Jesus because a praying church is a Holy Spirit-filled church. Whenever prayer is passionate, people will be passionate. Prayer is a fire that burns up our destructive patterns that are destructive to us. Prayer is a power that moves the people of God forward into the mighty works of God. Prayer is under and over and surrounding everything. And our burden is to have and to be a house of prayer that has a powerful prayer atmosphere that shifts the atmosphere over our lives, that shifts the atmosphere over our families, that shifts the atmosphere over our city, that shifts the atmosphere over the church of Jesus, that we would be ones who would draw near to God, as James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will. God comes where he's wanted. That's basically what that's saying. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God comes where he's wanted. The most important ministry of the church is the foundational ministry of prayer. Yet after nearly 30 years in pastoral ministry, it's the hardest to get people engaged in and it's the hardest to get people to sustain in. Because the reason is, is not because it's particularly difficult, but because there's an enemy who doesn't want you to be active in this thing that is so destructive to the kingdom of darkness. Someone has said, E.M. Bounds said this, the secret of success in Jesus' kingdom is the ability to pray. The one who can wield the power of prayer is the strong one in Christ's kingdom. The most important 
lesson we can learn is how to pray. If you didn't listen to last week's or you weren't here, you can go online, talk a little bit about that. We don't want to be a church that knows about prayer. We don't want to just be a church that, know, that prays when there's a need, although that's great. But we want to be a church that is a house, an atmosphere of prayer. That we believe God for the impossible. That we pray for things that are far beyond us. That we still believe that God can heal. That we still believe that God can set captives free. That we still believe that God can turn a nation in a day. I would have said amen by now if I was on that side. The power of prayer. When Jesus said pray, it's not a prayer a day to keep the devil away. It's not just pray over your meal like your mother or your grandmother taught you to and you feel like it's the right thing to do. But it's prayer, fervent, prioritized prayer. Because the reality is we won't have victory if we do not pray. Prayer is the key that unlocks the resources of heaven and releases them on earth. So in places where we don't know what to do, we are people who pray. And so this horizonfam.ca or this booklet or wherever you would have to do, there's gonna be so many opportunities to pray. You say, I'm not sure how to pray. Then you get around people that pray. You learn to pray by praying. You learn to ride a bike by riding a bike. You learned how to cook by cooking. It's not head knowledge, it's not reading about it, it's participating in it. And I wanna call us as a family, if you say this is your church, I wanna call you to prayer. I wanna call you to fast. I want you to call you to engage, and maybe you haven't for a long, long time, that you would allow God to shift you, to reorganize you, to reprioritize for you and believe that God would do something special and significant because what prayer and fasting does, it helps you to see things correctly because some of us actually believe that we're in charge of our life in the world. But he reminds us in verse 12, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We have no effective power in ourselves. We have no effective strategy in ourselves. It's humanly impossible in ourselves. It's one of the great things about AA, that there's an acknowledgement that I can't do this thing called life by myself. The reality of us are all in the same boat. We cannot, we cannot shift things, we cannot change things, we cannot change ourselves, we cannot change another person, let alone change a prime minister or a nation by ourselves. The power of prayer does something. There's a scripture that says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, before the man of God or the, per, the woman of God, you will become a plain. Mountains represent impossible things. The things that seem immovable, unchangeable, unbeatable. Our best human might, there's not enough power to bring down any great mountain. Our best human power is still not enough to shift an atmosphere. Our best human power is still not enough to set an act addict free. Our best human power is not enough to change the political system. Our best human power is not enough to change the educational system. Our best human power is not enough to see a church planted, to see brokenness healed, to see marriages restored, to see families brought back together. We must be a people that go after and get the right perspective from the Spirit of God, the one who is able to bring down mountains and make them flat, the one who is able to bring down what's flat and raise it up. That's what we want to see through prayer and fasting. We would see things correctly. It also helps us to see God correctly. 
Second Chronicles 20 and verse 15, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Why do you think he had to say that? Because people were afraid and discouraged. Because when a vast army has come against you, very often the thing that you want to do is be afraid and we get discouraged what's happening. Do not be discouraged because of this vast army for the battle is not yours but God's. Do not be afraid, he's with you. Do not be discouraged, he sees you. Do not quit, he's fighting for you. And fasting and prayer draws us close to our very life source, God himself. We begin to see things of in, in, the, in light of who God is, the one who is seated on high, the one who rose from the dead, the one who calls things that are not as though they were. And we begin to see that he is for us. We are not in this alone, we are not we are not trying to shift things by ourselves. We begin to see God correctly. And I remind you of 1 John 4, 4, that says greater is he that's in you than he is in the world. I remind you of Psalm 23, that though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you fear no evil because God is with you. I remind you of Psalm 138 and verse seven, though you walk through trouble, he will revive you. I remind you of Isaiah 43 and verse two, that when you pass through the water, he will be with you. When you go through the fire, you will not get burned. I remind you of who God is this morning. And when we're in fasting and prayer, our hearts begin to be shifted and turned towards the one who is seated on high. Fasting and prayer reveals God's strategy, God's word, God's answer for you. Because when you don't know what to do, you don't want to just pray you, and you, you don't want to just stay in the presence of God, but you're saying, God, would you show me what to do? I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. I want to shift things. So, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? Personal word, a precise word, because he knows what to do. Verse 17 says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, go out and face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Take up your positions. It's funny, he said, you don't have to fight this battle. Then he says, take up your positions. Because God invites us into this through prayer to partner with him. He does all the work, he asked us to do the prayer. That's how things begin to shift and change in, a, in your life, in your family, in, in our nation. Take up your positions. Be where God has called you to be. Everyone is needed. Everyone has a place and a part in the battle to see a family change, to see a life change, to see something shift in our nation, to see something shift in your family. We all have a part to play in it. Your position, be prepared to move from your position to God's position. You might be holding on to something and saying, that person that hurt me, they need a change. And God says, I wanna shift your position. They're not your enemy. You need to release some forgiveness and then I can, I can move in a powerful way. Or he might want to shift you off your position on a, a person or on a, on a, about a personality or a, about your approach. You wanna get after that person and God says, hmm, just talk to me about them. Be prepared to shift your position. Let him move you, welcome his adjustment, and then stand firm. Persevere, don't quit. 
I learned something. I went through the 14 weeks of preparation for a half marathon, and one of the resounding themes that the coach in my ear was telling me is get comfortable with being uncomfortable. If you're gonna see something change, if you're gonna be able, Craig, to run that race, you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. In our Western culture, we hate being uncomfortable. I am not signing up just for fun. I'm going because I wanna see something shift in my physical body. That's why I got into a race. And if we wanna see something shift in our lives, in our families, in our nation, if we wanna see, oh, we don't know what to do, then there has to be a part of us that says, I'm gonna stand firm. I'm not gonna be moved off of this. I'm gonna stay until something happens. If someone says, I'm gonna push, pray until something happens. I'm just gonna stand firm. Ephesians 6 talks about that. Someone's gonna be preaching next week talking about that. And we face the enemy. We face our fear, we face our anxiety, we face the addiction, we face the issue, we face and say, you will not have me. God is for me, who can be against me? I'm gonna stand in the place and the position he has and I'm gonna face it and say, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna trust God and face what has always defeated me. It's not gonna determine my destiny, I'm gonna face it because Jesus still has an answer for our culture. There's a strategy. Jesus still has an answer for impossible situation. He still has an answer for your loneliness. He still has an answer for your fear. He still has an answer for that person in your family that is seemingly out of control. He still has an answer for your marriage. He still has an answer for your wandering son or daughter or your parent that has never surrendered to Jesus. He still has an answer for every broken relationship. He still has an answer for your business problem. He still has an answer for your financial issue. He still has an answer for your housing issue. He still has an answer for what is seemingly impossible. He still can reach the one who you said, it's impossible. When I don't know what to do, my eyes are on you. And finally, Fasting and prayer makes the impossible possible. This is a funny one. As you lead into this verse, they're like, we're gonna take up our positions, we're gonna do all this. And Jehoshaphat, under the leading of the Lord, talking to the people, he puts the choir at the front of the army. That's the day you're like, I'm calling in sick for the worship team. Planning center, decline. I am not available. I feel like something coming on. I don't think you would like me. No, but they put them at the front of the battle because here's a little tip for all of us. Praise always leads us. Praise always leads us. Every time the children of Israel, when they were going through the wilderness, the first tribe that moved out was Judah, which means praise. Praise always leads the way. Praise always breaks through. Praise always, always breaks down. Praise always surprises. Praise always opens things that are unopenable. Praise closes things that have been allowed into your life. Praise does something that only praise can do. Praise ushers us into the very presence of God, the manifest presence of God. But the strategy in this moment was seen here as they began. Someone say they began. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against all these armies who were invading them and they were defeated. As, I love that word, as they began. It didn't say 
When they had everything figured out, they knew all the answers, they had their strategy all figured out, they just started obeying God in what God had called them to do. Lord, you told me to shut up and stop talking to my, my son or my daughter about this issue and just love them, so I'm just gonna start doing that and just love on them and pray for them. As soon as you begin to obey the strategy of God, heaven begins to move. Because there's a strategy that God wants to release to you in fasting and prayer. He wants to speak into your ear about something that right now seems impossible and you don't know what to do. Fasting and prayer cracks things open that seem impossible. God's strategy always surprises the enemy. God's strategy confuses the enemy. God's strategy defeats the enemy. And we need some strategy from heaven for the things that you're looking at and thinking about, that's impossible to change. That's, they're unreachable. They are too far gone. I could never, I have never been able to. It's impossible. Do you understand God's strategy though? When you begin to move, heaven begins to move. Will you begin to fast and pray in some way these next two weeks? Most of us, unless the doctor has ordered you that you cannot fast, should consider fasting food. That is typically how it happened in the Bible. They never fasted Instagram. Maybe you should too. In all seriousness though, for some of you, you've never fasted before. Maybe fast a meal, fast lunch. Maybe do it one day. Maybe fast for three days. Maybe you will fast for 14. Maybe you will, instead of fasting food, you will fast social media because you realize you spend four to six, four to six hours a day on it. Maybe you will fast your, your TV shows this week. Someone is like, no, okay. I was with you until there, pastor. Like, I'll do all that other stuff, but new shows are coming out this week. Satan hates fasting and prayer because it's a direct attack on his infernal kingdom as it unleashes God's power against him. Some of you don't know what to do with your life. You're 22, 23, and 24, and you're like, God, what's my life about? Fast and pray and seek God. So as we begin to move into this, time of prayer and fasting, know that the enemy will not give up without a fight. So even as things begin to move, pray through. Prayer is serious business. This is not war games. This is spiritual war. We believe that we must not dare think that we can do anything for God's glory without God's help. We must not dare think that we don't need spiritual power in 2023, that we're a little smarter than Jehoshaphat's time. We got things figured out. We must not dare think that we can stand on our own and see anything change without the Lord's help. Satan plays for keeps. And here, remember this, we must pray intensely and persistently not to overcome God's reluctance, but to prevail against Satan's resistance. Prayer and fasting. It's serious business. I invite you to stand and then we're gonna close out in uh, communion in a moment. But I want us to stand for a moment. There's gonna be some phrases that I wanna declare. 
I don't know who's up in the booth, but put the first one up. There's going to be, and I'd like you to say these together. This is all coming out of what we just preached. But it's kind of a declaration to set us into this week of prayer and fasting. So on the count of three, I'll say it nice and slow. Invite you to speak it out with me, that it will be your declaration. One, two, three. Let us know you deeper. Let heaven move in power. Let your angels fight on behalf of your people. Let the enemy, next one, just keep them going, okay? Let the enemy be surprised. Let the enemy be confused. Let the enemy be destroyed. Let every, let every prison door shake open. Let every chain be broken. Let every stronghold be shattered in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that you call us to fast and to pray. And Lord, I pray that all of us would resolve in some way to inquire of the Lord in a new and a fresh way over these next couple of weeks. Lord, that you would shatter things, that you would open things, that you would do what only you can do. Thank you that we get to partner with you in fasting and prayer. In the strong name of Jesus, amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.